Hey, it's Caitlin. Hey, it's Abigail. Welcome Welcome to to The Gutsy Gutsy Truth. We believe that change is easier when you are not alone. Through practical advice, personal stories, and expert insights, we offer strategies, empowerment, and a supportive community for you to turn to for guidance and motivation on your journey to living your best life. Let's dive in. Well, hello, everyone. We are so thrilled to introduce you to this week's guest, Hope Helms. She is a fine artist that specializes in watercolor and Texas landscapes and has a really, truly beautiful story about what brought her to um, be an artist. And so we are so excited to have her here today. So welcome to the Gutsy Truth, Hope. Thanks for having me, guys. So can you kind of walk us back um, to where your journey became as an artist? Like what kind of sparked you to pursue art? Um, we'd love to hear about that. Yeah. So um, growing up, I've always been interested in creative things. And um, in college, I started pursuing a little bit of an art degree, but I dropped out for some personal life reasons. And, um, I was, I've also got a bent where I love business. And so there was, I was feeling torn because I wanted to be running a business that I was already running, not be in school. And I wasn't feeling at the time, like it was benefiting me a lot, um, to be in the school that I was in. So I thought, you know what, why not just stop that right now and just run the business that I'm already running. And, it was a different kind of creative business at the time, but, um, I, I went ahead and pursued that for a while and later, let's see, I, by this time I have a couple kids and, um, I had shut largely shut down my other business through, which was a wedding photography business, by the way, um, through the childbearing years, it was not the kind of um, thing I could keep up with physically um, with some of the health things I had going on. So um, when it came time to uh, pursue that we had decided we wanted to pursue um, international adoption, I had just, I think, I think that it was maybe a little bit after when Instagram was maybe on the rise a little bit more for creative people. Um, and you started seeing, you know, people trying their hand at different things that they hadn't tried before and just sharing about it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and it prompted me to just pull out some of my art supplies that I already had. Um, I had never really used them, the, my painting supplies in school. I'd only done, um, other types of like design and drawing and things like that, never painting and uh, just picked up what I had, which was watercolor and started creating with it thinking, you know, my kids are at home. I can just do this and maybe I can sell something on Facebook to my friends and contribute to our adoption fund. Um, So, I just, yeah, I, I didn't really have a plan going into it. You know, um, I just knew that I missed being creative, you know, and that that was something on hand. That's kind of a, maybe we should put it this way. It's, you know, there's something nearby. I'm going to be trying to do something creative and beautiful. It, I, it just, it's just kind of in my nature, right? So, um, oftentimes, you know, with little toddlers around, they give, you give them watercolor. There's this cheap, you know, dollar store watercolors Mm -hmm. that are washable. So I think it was just, it was there. It was on my mind, picked it up and started trying. And, um, I quickly learned how much I didn't know (laughs) Mm -hmm. how hard it was. Um, and it really, but what we really did was open up a door um, to some deeper things in my heart that 
I didn't, I hadn't accessed in a long time. And I think that is probably what got me hooked. Even in a, it wasn't like I was making bukus of money to put towards the adoption at that point. You know, um, I don't, I don't even remember how much I made on the first thing I sold, you know, because I wasn't even setting out to sell anything original. It was all, I'll just make this and I'll copy it and print it and somebody might want to hang it on their wall, right? Mm-hmm. I realized that I needed to head was more fine art, not just making some prints to sell to a few friends. Um there was something much deeper going on that that was best expressed in a different vein. So I started steering that probably after the first year or so. Um, and I taught myself through just time and um, Googling my questions, <laughs> honestly. Um practicing, um, is really the biggest, biggest thing. If you put in time, have you ever heard of the 10,000 hours? Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I really feel like that has been true for me in my life. Um, there's always this point where I, when I'm learning something, there's a tipping point where something clicks and I've, I don't know. Um, well, when it clicks, I've learned to get excited for that feeling and kind of be stubborn and stick it out, I think, mm-hmm. um, to get to that point because it, it just kind of feels like everything is more downhill from there. So, um, yeah, I just I put in the time and then. I faced the frustrations and the failures um, and one thing led to another, you know, and it's, it's gone to the point of um, growing quite a bit beyond what I thought possible. And um, right now it's, you know, definitely more on uh, maintenance. It's kind of, it's here, but you know, I'm, I'm busy doing other things right now. So I guess the question for you is why have you been drawn to Texas landscapes as your, you know, your, your, your most painted, um, topic? Ah, that's a great question. Um, so that's partly because it's what I, I see the most. Mm -hmm. I haven't necessarily lived a very, uh, traveling lifestyle. Um, so I often, I paint more from my my head. So it's just those bits and pieces are already there in my mind Mm -hmm. and that's just what comes out. So, um, now I have taken that a step further, but that's kind of how I started into the Texas landscape realm. Um, but secondly, I would say that it was, Partly because um, if it were, if, if, you know, life could be ideal, I don't know that I would choose to live in Texas for its natural beauty (laughs) for the part where I live (laughs) and I live in the city. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and so it is that I would um, choose to intentionally draw out the things that were beautiful where I'm placed mm-hmm. and where life has me now. And so it was just that intentional focusing on what was good instead of what I felt like I was missing. Mm. I think that's a really important lesson to, to learn is instead of looking for what you're always, you know, wanting in life, just to appreciate what you have around you. Yeah. Yeah. Really. I mean, that's going to come out probably a lot in this whole conversation today about my story, but just kind of the pursuit of beauty is that change in mindset. Mm -hmm. It's that 
you're you're stopping and living a kind of life where you notice what is there beauty that is there in front of you and it's it's often not what we think it's going to be mm-hmm. you know it, it it's not what books or media necessarily portray as beautiful it's, it's those those little moments in life where um you know the the act of kindness when someone you know pays for your starbucks ahead of you or you know those little little things that um cultivate this uh community and common humanity among us that is really like it reminds us and um what we're made to be and so anyway that's kind of my take so I guess you were inspired to kind of pick up the paintbrush and start painting um to raise money for your adoption and it was something that it's always kind of, it sounds like you've been drawn to be creative. Um, so do you mind sharing with us your story of adoption and what that all looked like? I think, um, yeah, we'd love to hear all about that. Yeah. Um, so my husband and I, I honestly don't even remember when we first started talking about adoption, but it was something that we were both interested in when we were first together and had talked discussed. Um, again, it's he had he remembers when he had it on his mind that he wanted to do it, but I I don't. Um, so, in in the in terms of our life together and developing our family, it was all all kind of part of the plan Mm -hmm. in terms of how we had envisioned what we wanted to do if possible. And so um, I had some unusually challenging birth and pregnancy scenarios uh, with my health. Um, And it really was after, after the first pregnancy, I realized, um, you know, if I'm going to have biological children at all, now is probably the time to do it because I'd rather, you know, fin- finish this while I'm in it, you know, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and didn't want to go through adoption adjustments with more uh, and then go back to having kids biologically if um my health was going to be affected so much and then have more kids to take care of. So we were always, it was always part of the plan and um, it was more a matter of when, and that became really clear after the first um, pregnancy, I guess. And um, so after our second son was born, um, we started, we kind of developed a timeline of when when we were start would start to look into it more and we really had no clue what we were talking about really or thinking about we just liked the idea and we're going to go from there mm-hmm. so i thought at first you know it would probably look like adopting an infant domestically that's kind of all i had ever been exposed to mm-hmm. um so I didn't really know what kind of options and needs were out there. Um, for us, we didn't uh, pursue adoption necessarily because uh, we felt it wasn't just because my pregnancies were hard. Our motivation to adopt kind of it it fell in line with some of our personal values of um, wanting to use our lives to do good to to the greatest capacity we had. And um, so when we first started out doing the research on infant adoption and uh, realized, you know what, that, that just opened our eyes really is what it did because in those informational meetings at agencies for prospective families who just 
don't have a clue what to do. Um, they share more information and more statistics about the state of orphan care and what what's going on um, just in your community and globally. And as we were leaving, I think it was that very night, Caleb said to me, you know, I'm not sure that this is the route we're supposed to take. I think that there are lots of families waiting to adopt infants and there are not lots of families waiting to adopt older kids or kids from um, other countries. There, That's even less of a possibility. And I think we need to look at our capacity again and see what our motivations are. Are we just trying to have a cute baby? Um, or are we really trying to meet the need where we're capable of um, meeting it? And so um, that was a little bit surprising to me at the time because I think I was still, you know, focused more on like the cute baby aspect, you know, sure. um, and I, it took me a while to process, but, uh, I was on the same page after, I mean, in general, after that meeting, it just took me a while to get my emotions reoriented, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and because when you, the thing is when you sit in those informational meetings, I mean, it will wreck you. Mm-hmm. It really will to to learn about the statistics and the, even the statistics of how babies are almost as, just assigned a different value based on their race mm. and who adopts what and when and uh, how old and what kind of classifies them as more, quote, valuable to, you know, more wow. uh, desirable, right? Uh-huh. Um, and that will, I mean, it just, yeah, it, it gutted us, you know? Um, and I, I think we had kind of known a little bit more about that before the first meeting, but that was just a really pivotal point. Sure, yeah. So, um from there, it was more a matter of like, okay, now we, we do have to go about deciding what then our parameters are, because now it's like, everything's an option. And what do we do? So, um, we, I don't want to get too detailed with all the decisions, but the plan changed many times. Mm -hmm. Um, just as we were constantly getting new information and then kind of comparing that to what we felt like our capacity was because we didn't, we were conscious that, you know, in the effort to want to um, offer a safe home and a loving home to kids, it is also easy to overextend yourself um, or take on like a savior mindset, which is not helpful to the kids. Yeah. Um, not healthy because it's then more about the parents and not about the kids and getting their needs met, truly met and cared for in the way that they need. And so we were pretty conscious of that issue and that struggle even, um, to, to be evaluating what was going on in our hearts and minds through the process, but also, uh, be willing to push ourselves beyond what we thought mm-hmm. we could do, you know, uh, in the sense that, you know, it's not, it's not like it's not scary. You know, there's, right. you learn a lot of things that you're like, am I even going to be able to do that? I don't know. Yeah. Am I tough enough? If I, am I brave enough? How is this going to work? You know? Um, and so, as yeah, it was just kind of this process of getting more information, evaluating, and then just taking a step in faith about what was next. And one thing led to another, and we had decided that um, we would focus on international adoption mm-hmm. um, and focus on international, uh, sorry, Latin America, 
we would focus on Latin America. Um, and a lot of that had to do with my age at the time, just different parameters. You know, if you find out all kinds of things that, oh, this country won't let you adopt if you're not both a certain age and have a certain income or, you know, there's all these different red tape things that go on. Um, and so Latin America was the most open to our unique situation. Um, and we at first set out to adopt from Colombia. And I think at that time we had decided on around age six and under. And um, keeping in mind, I had really young kiddos at that time at home as well. And um, in the middle, what we got to that point, and in the middle of that whole process, um, my health kind of collapsed. It, I, it was already struggling a lot, um, but just the toll of postpartum at that time, it combined with some genetic things that I had undiagnosed, um, put, put me in bed for two months and I had a team of doctors helping me and it would, we had to put everything on hold. We thought, you know, it's going to take her years, me years to recover from this. What's going on? And that wasn't that long after I actually had started the painting. Um, I was very, very, just a few months in to the, to when I had decided, okay, I can do this as a way to contribute, even though, you know, I, I can't go out. I'm not running a big business anymore right now. I can't go get a job. I'm staying home with my kids. Mm -hmm. Um, but I have these physical limitations as well. Um, and we put everything on hold during that time and really thought maybe it wasn't even going to ever happen. Um, because of, of the state of my health and, um, knowing that there are unique parenting challenges that come along with adoption and then adopting older kids. And so we just didn't know, would I be up for it? You know, yeah. um, I'd be the main one at home. So, um, to make a long story short on that situation, miraculously kind of by accident, I got some diagnoses, um, got on the right, you know, treatment plan and had a very quick recovery, um, and felt better than I had felt in about, you know, seven years of battling some chronic health problems. And, um, that really, so we were, we got to the point where, okay, I think we're ready to re-engage with this. Um, and evaluate, can we like starting this process back again? Mm -hmm. And as we were doing it, we were thinking, we started thinking again, well, one of our initial goal dreams had been for me, at least I want to adopt twice. Mm -hmm. It was just stuck in my head. Like I want to adopt twice. I, because if, if the world we're not broken. These kids would get to be grow up in a family that looks like them and, you know, maybe talks like them. And if we're doing this internationally, then, you know, this, that may not, they're not going to feel as much like they fit. You know, I just wanted this sense of, of, uh, family connection of also just that comfort of you were came where I came from, yeah, you know, that makes sense within our family unit. And, um, so we started talking with our agency about it saying, you know, the cost wise, what does this look like? And found out, you know, it is way more cost effective to do, to adopt two kids at once. And they also informed us that, you know, pretty much, if you're wanting siblings, they're considered the bottom of the barrel in terms of um, nobody wants them because there's two of them. Yeah. And then usually because people are not ready for that challenge, um, they get older and then they just get stuck yeah. in whatever system they're in. 
and but it's especially worse in these other countries around the world. So if they end up on the international adoption list, that means they've gone through every internal resource for that in that country for them to be adopted domestically because that really would be ideal and less traumatic for these kiddos to get to stay in their home country with their home language in their in their comfort zone, you know, and to support the networks there to be able to parent their their kids in their country, just like we tried to do here in the States mm -hmm. um, to support families. And we don't do it well enough, but I know that there are lots of uh, really hardworking people working to um, people parent well and be able to take care of the kids that they have. Um, and so anyway, um, they said, you know, but, but Columbia is not the program for you. Costa Rica is the program because we have a bunch of sibling groups. Like they, they just only have sibling groups on their lists mm -hmm. that for us. And, um, so we said, okay, I think that's great. Just switch us to, uh, Costa Rica. We didn't feel particularly attached to any country. We were just trying, again, just kind of follow the need, evaluate what we could do, keep going, you know. And um, so after a very long journey and a lot more changes, we, you know, there was a group of kids that it looked like we were going to adopt and we fought for five months to get these, these particular kids that had been on a waiting list and were told the next day that that it would be decided, it would be officially, you know, quote, matched is the term. Mm -hmm. um, they called back and said, um, the kids were not matched with you. They decided at the last minute to give them to somebody else in, in another country. Oh, wow. And I was, after five months of, we, we redid all our paperwork, we did all kinds of things to pursue these particular kids that had been on the waiting list. And, um, that was a very dark time for me because at that point, you know, we're at least two years into the process. And so, um, trying to, it, it's so much to encapsulate, right. In a few sentences, yeah. but that, that caused us to change our parameters again. And then in the end though, if we had not changed those parameters, we would never would have gotten the kids we had now. Yeah. And, um, that has been a really beautiful thing to look back on and see like all of these challenges throughout the way and, um, that have been there and, um, see how, like, everything was for a reason. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so to, to just get to be on this side of that and look back and see how the pieces were fitting together is, is just really amazing. Um, but in the end we did get matched with a 10 year old girl and seven year old boy. Um, and I think it was about right around the three year mark, a little over three years when we got them home. Wow. So we, we went to Costa Rica and lived there for around six weeks all together um, and finalized paperwork and all of those different things and came home. And when they landed, they were U.S. citizens. Wow. So, yeah. What, what a journey. Um, yeah. Like, I feel like I'm not very familiar with the adoption system by any means, but when the little I do know from different people in my life, it's it's never a straight path, <laughs> and it's the lots of twists and turns and a lot of heartbreak in the sense of you you get you feel like you're gonna be able to take these kids home and then you get you know told no and then have to pivot and start all over again and I can't imagine that so I appreciate you sharing your story with us and talking about this because um yeah we we definitely believe that it's something that 
um, your story has value and um, is worth sharing. And hopefully there's people out there listening that can find comfort and um, inspiration from. And so we appreciate that. Hi, friends. I just want to take a quick moment and thank today's sponsor, Flash Marketing Solutions. Flash Marketing Solutions provides full service website and marketing solutions. They focus on your website so you can focus on your core business. I'll be honest with you, friends. When we first started The Gutsy Truth, the idea of building a website sounded super fun, but quickly became a daunting task. But thanks to Flash Marketing Solutions, they got our website built, freeing up hours of our time to focus on the podcast. If you're ready to be gutsy and need a website for your business or blog or whatever you're hoping to do, we recommend Flash Marketing Solutions. Visit flashmarketingsolutions.com slash gutsy for more information. That's flashmarketingsolutions.com slash gutsy. And right now, all new website clients get the first year of hosting for free. Thank you so much, Flash Marketing Solutions. If you are enjoying the podcast and want to support our mission to empower and inspire people everywhere, we would love for you to consider becoming a Patreon member. By supporting us on Patreon, you are helping us to continue to create valuable content and build a supportive community for listeners like you who are choosing to live a gutsy life. Visit thegutsytruth.com slash support to learn more. I guess my question for you is, did, was art your outlet to find, you know, some joy and peace during all this? Was it like, how did, how did art kind of, um, how was it woven into that season of life? So yeah, throughout that whole season, I was still, it was, it was a way for me to find some solace during the waiting. Mm -hmm. Um, because the more and more you step into the foster care, adoption, orphan care world, Mm -hmm. um, it is very heavy. It is very dark and those are things you can't unknow. And especially if you if you have the heart to already be involved and, and take that on, it probably means you're the type of person who feels things a lot anyway, too, Mm. you know? So, um, there, there was a lot for me going on, I think outside of the adoption situation in my life that, um, as I said before, art kind of became the door for me to access parts of myself that I hadn't been able to access, um, in a long time. And I think that it was almost like just a mirror was going on between like what, what was happening for in the adoption in my heart and mind and how I was processing that and learning to work through the emotional um, weight of it mm-hmm. um, and finding that the practicing art was very therapeutic for that mm-hmm. um, was also mirroring some other aspects of my life that needed needed some healing and needed me to face what what was really there that I had not, not dealt with before. And, um, the other interesting thing about an art practice is just, uh, there, especially, I mean, everyone has to, to learn the skill to some extent, you know, you might have some level of talent, but there's still the amount of, you still have to get good at something by putting in the time. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and during that, you're, you face, there's something about art that feels very beyond you as a person. And when you're facing that blank piece of paper or trying to incorporate an idea and make it real in the world and you can't get it out, that is incredible incredibly it forces you to face something about failure your weaknesses your insecurities it just slams it all in your face and says deal with me or 
you know, you, there's no nothing else you can do if you want to create something good here. Yeah. You have to deal with me. And so there was there were these two aspects going on at the same time and that were growing throughout that waiting period of the adoption. And um, that's really where I was able to unlock and start articulating why I felt it was so important that I uh, share my work in a different way um, because of the fact that I was finding um, how much beauty has the capacity to heal mm-hmm. and how facing these inadequacies and the affront it felt to fail so much yeah. in the attempt to do something that um, was beautiful mm-hmm. and should be fun, you know, um, having to face that and then working through that yeah. is where I found the healing and, um, retelling the stories we tell ourselves and saying, why do I, you know, why am I feeling this way? And then, speaking speaking a truer narrative through that and learning to accept you know the the limitations that we each have and to not let that turn into shame um but to embrace that and move forward offering what you have and something, something beautiful somehow comes out of this, you know? And so I, that's really where the pivot started taking shape for sharing my work more broadly and, um, realizing that this was this message of beauty needed to be shared and put out in the world, not for my own sake, but because, um, of its capacity to help other people Mm -hmm. experience some of the same things. Yeah. And yeah, so that's kind of how, so by the time we were in Costa Rica, I, the business was pretty well going and I was far into it. Definitely had made the fine art pivot by that point. Um, and because I remember some late nights because I had pre-planned certain art launches to be ready while I was out of the country mm-hmm. um, and it kind of, quote, out of the office, so to speak. Um, and at that point, I knew for sure, like, there, I think about a year and a half into everything, I knew for sure that this was something that was going to continue. It wasn't, the real mission was not, fundraising for the adoption mm-hmm. um, that would be a part of it and but then it was gonna keep going yeah yeah I, that all that is so powerful of how you said that and it kind of leads me into wanting to share like how your art has inspired me um, because uh, for our, for everyone listening, like um, I've I've known H- Hope just br- a little bit through part- her participation in a local art event that we um, organized, and I always kind of loved your art. Like it was just always beautiful, and it was drawn to the style of artwork and watercolor that you do. Um, but last year, um, last April, when you were here for that event, I was in a particularly hard place with my season of infertility and navigating all that. And, um, and my husband was really stressed with things going on in, in his world too. We were, we were both just in really hard places. And so we were walking around the art fair. I feel like I'm going to cry just talking about it, but we were walking around the art fair and I was, oh my gosh, yeah, I wasn't prepared for this, but I was walking around the art fair and your art was just truly beautiful. And I remember reading a sign that you had that said, you know, your work exists to bring these moments of light and beauty into the world. And that's exactly what you did for me in that moment. And I didn't even know that I needed that. And so hearing more of your story, I feel I want you to know that what you've done is 
probably hitting more people's lives than you'll ever realize because you brought beauty into the darkness and seasons. And I don't know if people could hear the, the thunder in the background <laughs> for where you are right now, but I feel like that was also really fitting in the sense of like, we we're going to all weather storms. Yes, right? absolutely. And yeah. we don't know what's going to be, um, you know, given to us in life, but focusing on joy and finding beauty and not giving up is so important and your art and art in general has an ability to do that and so um yeah your art has truly like helped me in that way and I I have um the piece that I bought for you in my office and I see it every day and I'm reminded Mm. of that moment and how it helped me in a really difficult part of life so I wasn't expecting (laughs) to get really emotional about that but (laughs) Um, well, here you got me going too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but that's that's why we wanted to have you on the podcast because, um, yeah, like you didn't have to. You could have just made art, and you could have just, um, you, you know, put it out there to sell and not talked about your your purpose behind it, your journey of adoption, and all that. And and so, yeah, I'm just very grateful for that. And I think it's a truly gutsy story of you just, you know telling us about and how difficult it was to navigate adoption and all that. And so, yeah, just really thankful for you. And, and creative processes are, are truly to me spiritual. We had on a lady early on who, um, is a florist by trade. And so she then built this incredible business, but she just kind of always kept coming back how flowers were this centerpiece, no pun intended, of her life, um, you know, and that, and it got her through a lot of different challenges and things. And so I, I remember listening to her story and thinking how there was such a spiritual moment or not moment, but like token and resemblance in the flowers. And that's how artists for me, I think as well. Um, I, I grew up in a very art friendly household. My parents, always took us to like Taos and Santa Fe, New Mexico growing up. And my Mm -hmm. parents are huge Mm -hmm. fans of art from there. And so from a young age, I was like forced into art galleries Mm -hmm. all the time. And that's just how it, that's just how it was in my family. And I just always remember my, like, I remember seeing my mom at a young age, like just like burst into tears standing in front of art. And I got like 10 years old. I'm like, well, this is silly, you know, but then as I've gotten older, you know, like I totally understand it. And so like knowing Caitlin's story, I remember her coming up to me that day at art, that art fair, almost a year ago now and just telling me like, I mean, she couldn't even get the words out. And so it's just so incredible that you said you started this journey as you're just, you were a creative person always, and you were trying to find an outlet or, you know, to raise some funds and just something for yourself. And like Caitlin mentioned, it's just, uh, it's just so incredible and so deeply moving that you found your own journey through your own work that was healing and therapeutic. And then that's been able to go and transform lives of others. Mm-hmm. And something about that, when you can heal yourself through some, a journey of your own, then that then turn heals others and, and inspires others and provides hope for others. It's just such mm-hmm. a powerful trifecta of life. I feel like yeah. that it's just mm-hmm. so incredible. And so, yeah, we just, this is exactly what Caitlin said. This is why we wanted you on this podcast is because you've got this awesome story that has personally affected yeah. one of us, yeah. um, really both of us in our own right, but for sure with Caitlin. And now hearing your story, I just love, like you said, you, you had to face some hard moments against yourself. Like you had to look in the mirror and say, who am I and what am I doing in this moment? And I think we've all been through that, but imagine not having an outlet to help you walk through that part and yeah. so I just think like it's such a good reminder you need a, a health I'll say a healthy outlet <laughs> obviously you know whether it's art or exercise or music or mm. nature or something of that of in that realm um and so yeah I just oh, I just love every moment of this so this has been really <laughs> really moving yeah. obviously yeah. well thank you for sharing so vulnerably Caitlin I that just means so much to here from a real, you know, human face to face with so much happening over the internet these <laughs> days. Um, just how, how the work has affected you personally and to, to hear that 
that the message that I'm trying to share is what people are truly receiving is just, it's just amazing. And I, I feel that I have, I have always felt that my work, I'm more caught up in, in something outside of myself than it is anything about what I'm doing. I know because of my past and different challenges that I've been through in my life, some of them kind of extreme, not normal, um, challenges that have been a great source of pain and suffering in my heart, you know, that, um, I know, even if I don't know people's specific circumstances or the storms they're weathering, I know what it's like to be honest and feel grief and pain. And that is what I'm wanting to speak to with my work. And so it, again, just circling back to what you said, Caitlin, to know that the beauty touched your heart, like it did mine, you know, Mm -hmm. um, is, is just, it's amazing to get to be a part of that and facilitate it. Um, and yeah, definitely it's something outside of just me, in my opinion. So, um, there, there, this is why I say beauty has the capacity to speak to the human soul, like nothing else. It bypasses the logic and the words that we so often try to use to speak to someone's pain or to hard things in life, you know, and, um, there, there's a quote, I don't remember who it came from, but that basically talks about the role of the artist in the world is to be a steward of God's presence Mm -hmm. and to show him at work in the world. Mm -hmm. And I definitely believe that where it's a stewarding thing, um, where we, where I'm looking for and discovering the beauty of God at work in the world and in people and inviting others into that experience with me. Um, not so much, a uh, convincing anyone to believe anything, but I, I think there is this, um, transcendent, uh, aspect of our humanity that we all feel, um, whether we allow ourselves to or not is another issue. But, um, you know, there is this other than feeling that we all are caught up into if we let ourselves feel it. Narrating that story that's outside of just ourselves outside of these limiting circumstances or the painful experiences, it prevents that isolation that you can feel when you're grieving Mm -hmm. and in a dark place because it draws you to that common thread we all have with each other, Yeah, you know, and the community aspect. And, um, we can't, we cannot heal in isolation either. So, you know, the beauty, I I really think of it as the inviting others into an experience, Mm -hmm. um, and an experience where that involves truth too, because, you know, the, the truth may be really hard about the season that you're in, but that does not mean that the truth about the beauty or, um, other good things in the world is not there at the same time. Yeah. Uh Yeah. So 
I would love to know what advice you would give to someone who might be in a in a season where they need beauty. How do how could they find it, or how how would how would you encourage them to navigate that? Hmm. Um. I would start simple. I would consider just taking a few moments to pause and just notice what's happening with your senses. If you suddenly feel a sense of pleasure about something, of genuine pleasure, I'm not talking about entertainment. You know, I'm talking about, oh, that nice breeze that just hit my face today. You know, when I stepped outside, take a moment and kind of catalog what's happening with your senses Mm. and pay attention. I think that it's just so easy to numb out what, what, um, it's just so easy to numb out from the world in terms of letting ordinary graces and pleasures affect us. Mm -hmm. We forget that they exist in our day to day, you know, and so even just having a journal that you wrote down in every day of like, I really just enjoyed the spring breeze today. And I saw the first flower pop up in the ground, you know, mm-hmm. um, I went to the park, seek out, you know, certain sensory things that bring that sense of calm mm-hmm. and, and just the further you go down this road where you're looking for beauty in your everyday, in, in the most common things, um, the more your eyes are going to be opened to a new way of living, really, mm-hmm. where um, it, it opens up more abundance mm-hmm. and also more joy because there's, you realize just how much is already around you, where you are, that you can just savor. It's a gift, Mm -hmm. you know, the warm cup of coffee with, you know, a book and a a candle, you know, like that just sounds amazing to me right now. Um, That, that is something that I would describe as beautiful and nourishing and good, Mm -hmm. you know, and to, you know, seek out the healthy, healthy might be, uh, loading, giving that a moral charge artificially. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, you can edit that out. Um, <laughs> but j- just seeking, seeking out, seeking it out and then intentionally kind of chronicling that it was theirs because we forget. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think that's such and great. One day you'll be up and the next day you'll be down. So. Yeah. Oh, a hundred percent. I think that's such great advice and something we've tried to talk about too a lot on the Gutsy Truth is finding vitamin joy is what we like to call it. Um, so intentionally finding those things, like you said, that bring you true pleasure and happiness and joy into mm-hmm. your life. And I think for the world, like taking, like you said, take that moment and just pause and reflect is so important, especially in a society that's full speed ahead all the time. Yeah. Um, and so I just absolutely love that advice because it's just the littlest things. And I, and I, like, as you're seeing, they're describing all that. I'm thinking like, well, when is the last time I paused and reflect in nature? And mm-hmm. I live out on, in, in the outskirts of town and I have property and horses and stuff. And literally some of my most like calming moments are when I can just like go stand in the pasture with the horses mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. you know, just, I don't have technology around me. I don't have anything. I'm listening to the birds and and the bugs and the animals and the, and it's just like, and nature is truly healing and calming too. Yeah. And so I just love that piece of advice because I think 
pausing and reflecting and, and intentionally finding something that brings you that, like you said, that pure bliss is just such, so needed in today's yeah. world. And I love the idea of like focusing on your senses too, because yeah. I, I feel like when you know mentioned having a cup of coffee, it's like, I feel like we grab a cup of coffee because we feel like we need caffeine or like it's part right. of our routine. And like, yeah, we're just like, okay, this is what we do every morning as opposed to like, oh, well, I'm actually drinking the coffee because it tastes Taste. amazing. Yeah. And here are these like, I can yes. like feel the warm mug That's, in yeah. my hands. Yeah. <laughs> That's a great example of how we're so used to just rushing on in our culture. Yeah. And there's so much life richness that we miss out on because Mm -hmm. of just being used to that mindset. Mm -hmm. And, um, and, and what, what is so powerful about incorporating that sensory aspect is just the reintegration, you know, of our brains and minds, the way they're meant to work together with, you know, the left and right side, the different Mm -hmm. aspects of ourselves and reintegrating that when we're so used to maybe overvaluing certain, certain modes of thinking and operating as humans in, in our culture. And so, um, even just, I'm, I'm not a neuroscientist, but from what I, I, the little I do know, (laughs) I think that's really powerful and is part of why it's so healing is the reintegration aspect. Yeah. I absolutely love that. Uh, So So that's our, that's our challenge for everybody listening. Yeah. Actually sit down and enjoy your cup of coffee this week. (laughs) Don't rush through it. Oh, that's so good. Yeah. Yeah. Whenever I'm out doing like a commission or even traveling, I've started doing this. Whenever I really truly want to remember something, because um, there's this saying that I've I've tossed around a lot about you know all the moments you really have are are right now, right? You can't do anything about the future. Everything in the past is gone. All you have is right now. Mm -hmm. But what you can do is to create a memory Mm -hmm. because someday when you're not mobile and, you know, life is really different, we can't rush around, we will have a bank of memories. And so what kind of memories do you want to make? And I found my memory bank was really low, um, but partly because I was really stuck in the rush around, get things done mode, Mm -hmm. you know, and then I couldn't remember my life, you know, it was just productivity, you know? And, um, so anyway, to circle back, I started this practice of just jotting down a few notes of what I was thinking, feeling, smelling, describing what was going on around me and just in my physical body in that space that I was in and that memory I wanted to keep. And I tell you that that has just changed the whole way I recall my life too. Um, that when I'm, when I'm in a space that somebody wants me to commission of their property and they tell me their story and I really pay attention to feeling that with them Mm -hmm. and to feeling the environment. I pick up on the same types of things that they may, you know, are picking up on. And then when I go back to paint, when I'm at home, I, I can recall that memory in a different way than if I had just looked at it with my eyes and walked away. Mm -hmm. I, I looked at it with, with all of myself. Yeah. Um, and so it, it helps to incorporate that, the sense sensory aspect of everything. Yeah, definitely. Well, we love to, um, end our podcast asking our guests these two questions. So we'd love to know what is something gutsy that you have done recently and how did it make you feel? Wow. Um, (laughs) uh, something gutsy I've done recently is, um, support my husband through a big life change and buy, he bought a, uh, tax firm and, uh, he 
asked me to come in and kind of remodel the business because it's been running since the 80s, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, Literally, there was a typewriter behind the front desk when I got there and everything's on paper. And there were not any systems. Everything was built on paper checks. And okay, so it's gutsy for me, not in the sense that I don't like business. I love business, but I'm the artist creative, right? (laughs) Yeah. I don't know a thing about taxes (laughs) and how to lead a team of, of professionals through a tax season. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. Much less the fact that everything is on paper everywhere and you can't find anything. So, um, that has been a gutsy thing for me to do and take on. It's been a bigger project than either of us could have predicted. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, I'm thankful it's going well. Our team is really great people to have on board and they put up with a lot through changing technology and ways of doing things to all kinds of unique uh, situations that have come up through this whole, whole process and, and just being a mom as well as managing hundreds of clients in both businesses has, has been a lot. So, um, it's made me feel, uh, my inadequacies, like we were talking about earlier Mm -hmm. in new ways and, but also learning not to be ashamed of them in new ways of to accept where I'm at, um, and what I don't know, because I ask a lot of really probably, I mean, I, I'm sure my team is secretly laughing sometimes because <laughs> of the types of, you know, questions I'm asking about accounting and tax code in order to set up the kind of, you know, get my head around what's going on and mm-hmm. lead lead them, you know, and, and in a way it's kind of nice to not know that I'm not asking the stupid question you know, it's mm-hmm. like, I'm just going to ask and step forward anyway, because I got to find out, you yeah, know, yeah. to to lead this. But um, it, that has definitely been in the back of my mind, you know, I'm, oh, my goodness, this is, <laughs> <laughs> what am I doing? <laughs> yeah, that's wow. amazing. Yes, that's definitely gutsy, because <laughs> my brain does not operate numbers very no. well. So my hat is off to you, 100%. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. It's just been a whole, a whole learning curve. And so I simultaneously feel like really, it's really cool to see how throughout other parts of my story that caused me to have to teach myself and learn, get good at that skill. Right. Mm-hmm. And I, I've taught myself how to paint, um, that that skill is being put to excellent use and, and it's just another cool way to see that come full circle. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the part that feels good. Yeah. You know, knowing that I I can learn things that I never, ever even desired to learn before, like, <laughs> you know, tax strategy and entity setups and all kinds of stuff for different <laughs> business situations, you know. Yeah. Um, but I do I do love working with the clients and and things like that as well. So it's, it's been interesting. Yeah, that's awesome. Okay. So our final question on this awesome podcast episode of today, um, is what is something that fills your bucket of life? Fills my bucket of life. Well, definitely, definitely being out in nature and mountains Mm -hmm. and hiking. Um, if I could do more of that, I would, um, (laughs) I've also discovered in the last two years, gardening also fills my bucket of life. Mm, Not so much for the flowers as much for the experience Mm -hmm. of what it's like, what it does for me to be in the garden and how it puts everything in perspective. Um, Yeah, that, that, that definitely is a recharge for sure. Um, Other than that, I love my family, you know. And, um, I love my church family. So those are awesome. Yeah. Those are great ones. Yeah. Everyone, like we said earlier, nature is very healing Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways and everyone needs to spend more time in nature. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Well, mm-hmm. I have just loved our conversation today, Hope. Um, yeah, this has been so, so great. Mm-hmm. Um, can you share with our listeners where they can find you, connect with you, all of that? Yeah, so I am on Instagram, although I have not been posting there recently because of my new work schedule. But um, you can follow me on Instagram at Hope Helms Artist. That's Hope Helms, H-E-L-M-S artist. And then my website is just hopehelms.com. That's also another great way to uh, just see the work that I'm doing. And there's a newsletter sign up on the front page as well. That, that is even more consistent than Instagram. Just, I like the, the more personal aspect of writing emails. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe more personal is not the right word, but, but just the sense of, uh, the relationships feels different than social media does now, yes, you know? Definitely. Um, so I like that aspect and tend to keep up there at least once a month. Um, and then you can also find me at the new new business website. Social me- social media is still not quite set up just yet, but um, the website is helmstaxstrategy.com. And that's where we're working hard to help individuals with uh, small businesses to uh, keep more of what they're working hard to make. And yeah, that's oh. where I am. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. Well, thank you again, Hope, for your time today. And um, yeah, we look forward to seeing your art. And I hope everyone can go and follow you. And um, I think the moment that they see the work that you do, they'll understand exactly why um, it has brought so much beauty into the world. So thank you. Well, thank you guys for having me. And I'm just so glad we've been able to connect through through art and, you know, through the art show that where I first met you and mm-hmm. all of that. So yes. I hope. I hope our conversation and friendship continues. Yes, definitely. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of The Gutsy Truth. We are so thankful to have you here with us, and we hope today's episode was helpful and inspiring. Until next time, we encourage you to learn more at thegutsytruth.com, and we'd really appreciate it if you left a review on today's episode on your podcast streaming platform of choice. If you are enjoying the podcast and want to support our mission to empower and inspire people everywhere, we would love for you to consider becoming a Patreon member. By supporting us on Patreon, you are helping us to continue to create valuable content and build a supportive community for listeners like you who are choosing to live a gutsy life. Visit thegutsytruth.com support to learn more. And until next time, that's the gutsy truth. <laughs>